Welcome to the Heroes at Home podcast, where we believe heroes can thrive both at work and at home. This podcast is for those who stand watch while we sleep, who run into buildings while others run out, for those who deploy to hard places to have hard fights, and for the families that support them. Through candid conversation, we will discuss the side of things that don't get glorified in the media, what happens when they come home. We'll be talking with heroes from all walks of life and their partners, children, friends, and beyond, so together we can build a stronger family. I'm Noel Metter, CEO, joined by my co-host, Kenny Thomas. Kenny, man, it's been a while. How are you doing? It's been a minute. It's good. <laughs> a fast minute. So the last time that we did this, I was going to grab the camera and point it outside because it was nothing but white. We're in Ohio, which is, it might as well be Canada. Yeah. It's starting to melt. I'll tell you what, man, you're sending something our way because down here in Texas, we're starting to get the dreary rain of Seattle. I'm like, this is why I moved here. What the heck? You guys got to stop sending the rain. But hey, we're not complaining. <laughs> I was stationed at Fort Lewis for a while. For those of you who don't know, Fort Lewis is out in Washington State. And for the first three months, everybody's like, man, you need to see Mount Rainier. Wait do you see it. It's, it's just beautiful. And for three months, I was like, where's this mountain that you guys keep talking about? And in one day, the clouds finally cleared. And I'm like, whoa, it's like right there. <laughs> There's blue sky up there somewhere, we used to say. Out, it's true. We out in the field. It's true, man. I actually moved from Santa Barbara, California, where, you know, is the epitome of best weather scenario to Salem, Oregon when I was out of college. And I kid you not, I'm sitting there watching TV and they're like, we're breaking massive records. And I'm like, what are they talking about? We're breaking massive records for the consecutive days of rain. It was like 52 straight. And I'm like, what did I do? Why did I move from Santa Barbara to Salem, Oregon? So yeah, we finally got out of there and we're enjoying the sunshine. Love Texas. But today, we're actually going to be talking to a couple who reside out of Seattle, amazing couple that have actually written a book called Challenges of the Firefighter Marriage, and it's Mike and Anne Galliano. Is I, I think that's how you pronounce her. Yep, Galliano. So Mike was a firefighter 30 plus years with Seattle Fire. Their journey, I think, is so well done in terms of actually a resource that is devoted to firefighters and their marriage, which when you do a Google of this, there's not a whole lot out there. And they, what I love about, and what you're going to learn in this interview from them is they've really taken time to think about what are the nuances that a firefighter is dealing with and how does that affect their marriage? So we're going to jump in and learn from them. And I'm excited to uh, hear what they have to share. We are in for a treat today. Man, I'm so excited to have Mike and Ann Galliano. They wrote this incredible book, Challenges of Firefighter Marriage. That's what we're going to be talking about with them today. And I think if you're a firefighter, grab your spouse, pull them in. They need to be a part of this conversation. They need to hear what you're about to hear because you guys really have done such an amazing job of capturing the elements of how do you make this thing work? The profession of a firefighter and then the importance of a marriage. So maybe I can just start there and ask you guys this question. What are the unique challenges firefighters have in their marriage? That is the question that started us down this path, probably about what, a little over 10 years, 12 years ago, 
Mike made captain for Seattle Fire, and he was chosen to be the training captain at that time. And so he was in the training center every day, and he was running into firefighters he hadn't seen and since 1990, some of them even, and running into them day after day and catching up with them and finding out day after day that many of them were divorced or getting divorced or their marriages were struggling. And he was still married. And so they started asking the ones that were troubled were asking him for marital advice. And he didn't really know what to say. So he asked me, is there something challenging? Is there something tough about living with a firefighter? Because he didn't think there was. (laughs) And I said, Yes, you bet there is. And so he just asked me, well, do you have some ideas on this? And I said, oh, yeah, you know, 24 years of marriage, you know, 12 years ago. Now it's 36 years. But he said, well, write some down so that I can give advice next time I'm asked. And he was expecting just a little tiny piece of paper, you know, worth of notes. And instead, he was handed a 10-page typed annotated document (laughs) said, these are the challenges of living with a firefighter. And he said, oh, wow. And, and that's Some what... of us may be harder to live with <laughs> than others, you know, so understand. Some of you might only have a five-page document, but mine, yeah. mine was 10 plus. 10 pages. Yeah. And so that's kind of what got us going was the firefighter who might not see some of the challenges asking the spouse. I knew him pretty well before. We were married about five years before he went and uh, got on with Seattle Fire And I noticed changes and I noticed things and I I was able to tell that they were job related, but nobody, especially back then, prepares you for that. And yeah, I can see it's the job, but what do we do with that? How do we live with this? And so that's how this started was um, trying to to help others in Seattle Fire kind of maybe be prepared beforehand (laughs) for what you're going to face. So Well, it, it was heartbreaking. Absolutely gut stomping heartbreaking to come across these people that I knew from when you go through the difficult challenges of recruit academy, large jobs. So a thousand plus firefighters, you can go your whole career and there'll be a percentage of the department that you not only don't know, you don't even meet them. You never even talk to them once. It's just guys spread all over the place. But I knew a lot of these folks and they're every bit as good of people as myself, as Anne. I knew their spouses, their kids, really good folks obviously doing an honorable career, you know, serving people and serving the citizens of Seattle. It was devastating that again and again and again, yeah, we're split up. Yeah, we're in court. Yeah, we're fighting over the kids. So it came from a source of deep grief asking that question. And fortunately, I think Anne had some substantive answers. It's interesting. That's one of the reasons that it led us into working with first responders. We just started to hear over and over again, here's the divorce rate in some of these departments. And it's it was tragic. I mean, higher than what we had seen in the military work that we'd been doing 10 years prior. So I think you're right. And I think the, the role of a firefighter and what they're exposed to kind of leads me to the next question. I mean, the exposure to trauma, what does that ultimately do to the soul of a firefighter? Witnessing suffering impacts you emotionally. And what I noticed when Mike would have what he called them the tough runs, he never used the word trauma. But when you have that tough run, it technically means you've been traumatized and emotionally impacted, seen something that was next level, horrific, beyond description. And the most common reaction to trauma, ironically, isn't initially sorrow. Initially, it's anger. 
And the reason for that, um, as I researched, because anger is a, a functioning emotion, it gives you energy and the will to try to fight through that situation. And anger is actually a righteous emotion. It comes from the desire to fix something that is wrong and to correct this error that you shouldn't be seeing this person like this. This is wrong. And anger is good. It gives you the energy. Sorrow is debilitating. And so at, at an initial traumatic scene, the first responder goes into kind of an anger mode and a, we got to get this right. We got to fix it. We got to save this life. But the problem with that is over time, that anger can start to become cumulative and come home and impact the spouse. And I noticed when Mike was particularly irritable, it took me a while to figure it out, to piece it together. It's because he had a tough run and he was carrying it with him and it wasn't going away and it would take a little bit of time. And the trouble with a firefighting career, it isn't just one year like for like, let's say combat, it's for 30 years or more, it's a lifetime of coping with repeated trauma and a, a repeated tough stuff that starts to build up. And Mike even said there came a point where the, you reach like a saturation level. And that's when you start to like look at retirement <laughs> where it's just like, you know what? I can't face one more horrific tough run. They're not all tough. It's just the ones that become personal that impact you personally. And that's where the emotion, you go from being professionally detached to personal. And those tend to be anything involving a child. Those tend to be the toughest of all. And anything involving a, a coworker, like let's say another firefighter is injured or killed. I think it, it increasingly makes you need to thicken up, toughen up, distance yourself, diffuse your vision a little bit. So you're not looking at the details. You're not internalizing them as much you can see where not only that would impact at work, how you feel about people, your level of compassion and caring is there because you're going out and doing it. But in distancing yourself, you start to view, you can start to view people as objects or, you know, <laughs> less than viewing them as people. And then certainly when you bring that idea home, that whole vibe home, you know, it ends up making for a rough dynamic. And, you know, what you're seeing I really don't know if it's on an uptick or not. I don't know if we're just recognizing it more because we have more social media and we're talking about it more, but a lot more folks in our fields, in the, in the military, police, fire service, EMS, you're seeing a lot more suicide, a lot more taking of lives and violent type of crimes and that type of thing. I think it finds its outlet from there's nowhere to get relief. You know, you can only drink so much, you know, you can only take so many pills or sleep around so much or do so many drugs or whatever it is that you're doing to, to kind of deaden that pain. There's only so much of that that you can do before it starts damaging everything around you, including your physical health. And a lot of times we're finding that right smack dab in the middle of the home ends up being the genesis for what ends up causing people to take their lives. One of the questions that come up so often with our first responders, especially in the fire side, is like the spouse asking I need to know more of what's going on in your world. Like, how can I be there for you? And I'm just curious from your guys' perspective, you know, there's this fine line between oversharing, but not sharing enough. Where do you fall on that? And what would you say to a firefighter who's dealing with that situation? Well, back to kind of how we got here, I looked at danger, trauma, sleep deprivation. And I, and when we do the class, I start with those to tell the spouse, to remind them this is what your firefighter is dealing with on a daily basis, danger, trauma, sleep deprivation. And those three things, 
especially danger and trauma, are the most impactful experience a human being can go through, a near-death or trauma, and they go through it repeatedly. So keep that in mind. Some of these things you're seeing are not character flaws. They are definitely the result of danger, trauma, and lack of sleep. For the firefighter, first responder marriage, there are five topics that kept coming to the top, and I call them five essential conversations every firefighter spouse should have. And one of them is how do we handle the tough runs? That's one of the conversations. But the first one actually is reentry time. Reentry time is the number one conversation because that is the time when you come back together as a couple after being apart. For any couple, coming back together can be awkward. You kind of had a tough day or whatever. For the firefighter couple, We've been apart the longest. We've been apart more than most couples, 24 hours, sometimes 48 hours. And we noticed that, especially as a young couple, we were fighting right at the door, right as we met, because I wasn't understanding what he had just been dealing with for 24 hours. I was home with the kids. He was coming from the rock and roll world of firefighting, and I would just pounce on him and want to talk, and want to connect, and I missed you. We didn't have cell phones back in the (laughs) early 90s. Wanted to talk, and he was exhausted and grouchy and up all night, and we would fight, and then we would be mad at each other, and then he'd turn around and go back to work. And then this distance (laughs) started to grow. And so what I learned to do, and this is just conversation number one, was to give him re-entry time. Give him a minute to walk in the door decompress without expecting major conversation right off the bat, give him a gap, let him take a nap because he had just been up all night. Whenever I could, I would give him that break. And then later when he had decompressed a little bit and gears from that intense, emotionally detached world, now he's ready to re-engage with me and get his emotions back and soften up, open up, And then we could talk and connect. That opened the door to the deeper conversations later. The deployment tempo in the special operations community was was insane in the middle of the 2000s. So you had just about every six months in the Ranger Regiment, you're going to get redeployed because there's only three battalions. So one's got to be in country the entire time. So they did six-month cycles. So you'd come home. And then you'd train up and you get ready to go again. And what we saw was just what you were talking about was the re-entry. The spouse has been waiting. You're home. You're home. Let's engage. Let's connect. And all that kid wanted, all the soldier wanted to do was just decompress for a second. And hold up. Two days ago, I was walking through mountains with dudes shooting at me. Hang on. And I'll get to you. And it never occurred to me. I didn't even think about the fact that that's a daily, weekly occurrence in the firefighter world. So my question, you know, Kenny and I, we both have little ones running around. How do you deal with that? If I'm a firefighter, I'm listening to this and I'm coming off a shift. Yeah, I can communicate that with my partner. But man, there's little ones that just, man, they want to jump right into the thick of it. How did you guys deal with that? Yeah, we uh, we had little ones he started in 1990 and our boys were two and three years old. And so they don't always understand re-entry time and dad needs a minute. I guess that's why it's really important that the spouse does understand it and doesn't add 
to that because the little kids aren't going to wait, but the spouse can wait. I helped alleviate some of that burden by not expecting it as well as the little kids. And of course, as a father, he just, like he says, he just had to do it. You can't blame them that you're tired and grouchy, but maybe that's something to talk about as a couple. What can we do to help with your reentry time so that you're not harsh or grouchy with the kids? What can we do? What can we prepare ahead of time? Mike learned to try to have a nice slow drive or a gentle drive so he'd be better with the kids, those kinds of things. The important point is to recognize we've got to have as a couple this conversation about that meeting at the door, however it happens. Some folks, the spouse is sitting with kids for the last 24 or 48 hours and they're about to go nuts because you know they've been the demands of that. Some are getting ready to go to their own job. Some are, they're both firefighters or they're both in the military or they're going to an emergency room. The variables are vast. The point is to have the conversation and recognize this re-entry time is a real thing. And if we don't sort it out some way, somehow, we're going to keep crashing and crashing and crashing. And eventually things get said that you're going to regret, things get done that you're going to regret, and you're going to waste a whole lot of time. The other thing that comes to mind is, you know, this idea of detachment, I mean, temporary detachment that is required in your profession can sometimes be taken on as and viewed by the partner as relational apathy. Like they're just not into our relationship, our marriage. And I've heard that often come up in conversations. Would you agree with that? And, and if so, what would you say is probably important for that spouse to understand? The next conversation, it kind of falls into that category, and I call it dealing with harshness and gallows humor, a way of speaking in that world that works. When you're in life and death situations, you can't talk in soft, kind, flowery language or even in a soft, kind tone. There has to be an abrupt, terse tone and direct speech and barking orders, and that all works in that world, but I noticed it coming home. I would just remind him and say, whoa, 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 I'm not a firefighter. And that means- Danger, danger, danger. danger. You're starting (laughs) to treat me like one or speak to me like one. I'm not a firefighter. That means, remember, I'm your your wife. I'm tenderhearted. I need tender conversation. I need tender words. The other element of the fire department, I'm sure it's true in all first responders, it's also the humor. And I call it gallows humor. And it's the ability to deal with death. You have to develop a sense of humor and laugh about it. It gives you courage, gives you strength. But that type of humor also doesn't work on me. (laughs) Or finding a weakness in your fellow firefighter and exploiting that weakness and laughing. And that doesn't work on me either. And so that's all kind of part of that mentality that is tough on a marriage. And we've had to have that conversation that, you know, that doesn't work. But What helps also is to include your fire spouse as much as you can with the stories behind some of the humor so that I've learned to laugh at his stories too. If he keeps it all from me, it starts to seem kind of twisted and weird and dark. But if he shares it with me a little bit and takes the time, now I understand it and I'm laughing at his some of his dark stories. I think you have to have that humor as the release valve, because if you treated everything as serious as it really was, you would implode. But when you come home, people don't 
don't quite get that. I saw it in my marriage that she began to withdraw because she didn't understand why I was, that's just not the way it's supposed to be. That's not right. You can't talk like that about humans. Yeah. And then what ends up happening is you'll see a lot of veterans, firefighters, particularly you'll hear that, well, they don't really talk about it. Why don't they talk about it? I don't know. Have you ever tried to talk? Because you're, you can't speak a common language. And so they know that that darkness of what they do doesn't translate into the tenderness and intimacy of a marriage. They just shut up about it and they keep it inside. And then there again, where's the release and the reef valve? Because what's kept inside and compartmentalized will eventually find its way out and manifest itself in an unhealthy way. What you do have to do is find a common language and find a way to share with your spouse, yeah, you know, the, boy, we just had a, a really difficult one last night. You know, it was a little kid and it was just terrible. That's really all the spouse needs to know. I need to kick into a little bit different mode here and I need to tread a little bit lightly or give a little more grace or whatever it is that helps their spouse deal with that better, that's the guts of the conversation. You find that stuff out. You find your language. And that's the fifth conversation. And what helped us to do that was honoring that commitment by putting our first family first. With the fire service, you have the privilege of having two families because these life or death professions become as a brother sisterhood that most other professions can't understand. When you put your life in the hands of your fellow soldier or cop or firefighter, you form a very tight bond and it is like family. And we had to deliberately choose along the way to remember even amongst that bond, our bond was tighter still. And we had to keep that first and we had to keep it purposeful because it's very easy to slip into the second family and start to elevate that and feature that over your marriage over your first family and that's a it's a balancing act it's a scale because he as much as he wanted to sacrifice for the community and for the fire service if he went too far he was starting to sacrifice me and we were not willing to do that because of our commitment to each other to the lord it was something sacred and you have to choose that you have to put it first in your heart and everything else like in the picture is second and to keep that central relationship inviolate, sacred, separate. Even the children, in our opinion, needed to be second to our marriage. And so they were part of the first family, but even amongst family, keep your first relationship first, which was us, then the kids, and then the second family. And here's how important I was to Seattle Fire after 30 plus years of, of giving it a pretty good go, giving it a good amount of time, effort, and energy. Literally, the last day I worked, I was already kicked out of the email system, the city email system, and I couldn't even log on to my own rig. They had already like booted me out of the system for all the administrative stuff and whatever. That's how important you are to the machine. You know, that what I'm saying is the machine keeps going. You know, it's next man up. Someone's going to take your spot, and it's a just thing. It's a right thing. The fires are still going to happen, and they're probably glad you were there. There's a lot of people that will appreciate what you did, but trust me. They're going to move on from you the second you leave. What a tragedy to serve that career, to give your time to that career. And if you do it in the wrong way, 
to go home to an empty house. I can't even imagine what it would have been like to not now go home and come into the arms of my wife and, you know, saying, good job. It's okay. And we got a lot of other really wonderful things we're going to do. I mean, I'm probably not going to ever be a good marriage counselor, guys, because I'm pretty direct on this stuff. A couple buddies of mine working themselves like dogs at Seattle Fire. Well, one of them in particular, I can remember looking him in the eyes and he looked like death warmed over. I said, bro, man, are you all right? You know, and he said, oh, man, just so much overtime. And I said, well, that's easy. You know, <laughs> don't sign up. Stop. You know, oh, we like the money. You know, we like the money. We like the toys. I just bought a new jet ski. And here pretty soon, we're going to get a two-week break. And we're going to go ride the jet ski. And again, you know, I'm, maybe I'm not the easiest marriage counselor guy. But I said to him, how good is the jet ski going to be, brother, when some other dude is riding it? And guess what the punchline is? <laughs> Some other dude is riding that guy's jet ski because home got distant. They were ships that passed in the night. They had all the money in the world, but it didn't matter because that first relationship did not take priority. You have to be honorable in your profession. You have to earn a living. You have to give good bang for the buck, all those types of things. That can be done without sacrificing or having that dominate the relationship that you have. If you asked anybody why you put your life on the line in the end the answer would be it wasn't for the flag it wasn't for the job it wasn't for the glory of seattle fire it was for each other i put my life in the, in the line of fire for the person on my left and my on my right when you come home to your marriage that is a choice we fight the good fight for each other and to, i just have seen the whole point of this is because we see people punching out. You came home and you were willing to put your life on the line over here, but you came home, you just couldn't figure out a way to make it a priority, as you just said, Mike, to fight for each other. Here's the reality. There was so many questions that we had for Mike and Ann and such little amount of time to get them done. The good news for you all that are listening right now is they're all contained in their book. So go buy their book. And I think that's one of the things I really appreciate about you guys. I mean, when we got in the space of working with first responders, I started looking at, well, who's written stuff on this for the firefighter, for the police. And there's not a lot out there. I mean, like the, you do an Amazon search, you're going to get a lot of marriage books, but not specific to the firefighter. And so I would just encourage you guys pick up their book because they go into the nuances of the profession. And then how do you make sense of that in your marriage? Well done, you guys. Thank you so much for joining us. We are out of time in terms of this. So we, we might have to do a sequel, a part two to the Mike and Ann story and, and what's contained in your guys' book. But I really do appreciate you guys coming on and sharing this perspective because it's needed. It really is needed. So thanks for what you're doing, guys. Thanks. All right. Wow. So the first thing that comes to mind, Noel, and I'm going to pat you on the back is the wisdom and the insight that came from Ann and Mike. The first thing that I got out of that was one, you and I don't suck. Because that means we've been picking really good guests to be. My, my picker's show. been on, buddy. It's been on. The picker has been on, so I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna pat us on the back. But secondly, it's an extraordinary superhuman feat because you know when you're in a relationship, you're supposed to be able to say the right things, and when you're working on the relationship, you're supposed to know what you're supposed to do, say, and be at all times. 
And you can't because you're in the middle of it. But she had the insight to have that 10,000 foot view where she realized Mike was coming home and she had to create this space, like this transitional period so that he could regroup and readapt to being home. And that's, that's really difficult to do just to realize that you have to create that for somebody. And then that whole, you know, I was taking notes, the anger and the trauma and the sleep deprivation. And I'm sitting there going, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that relates to the soldier and the, and the military person on deployment. It's the same sort of thing. You know, that reintegration of coming home is that transition is tough. And it never occurred to me that for the firefighter, it's every week you go away for 24, 48 hours, and then you have a tough call, and then you gotta come home, and you have to make the shift from all this danger and emotional trauma to super husband and super dad. I don't think that any of us have that ability to do it on our own. So some of the lessons that I learned, you know, they found a couple to walk with, they found faith, they found strength, in each other and then most importantly they committed to each other all right this ain't gonna be easy and you've heard me say it a ton of times when we need you is when it's hard so we're gonna be here for each other and we're gonna lift each other up and we're gonna push through this and man they came out on the other end with all this wisdom when i meet people that have stayed married that long the the thing that i always say out of my mouth like how long you guys been married oh 30 something years like you should write a book like how to do that, and they did. <laughs> so if you have a chance, you got time, read this thing. It will give you all kinds of insight. And if you don't have time, then just go through the oxygen course. It'll give you all kinds of insight and skill sets as well. If you have lots of time, I would say do it all because the better you prepare yourself, the better you can prepare yourself for the mission and your people. And in this case, our mission is to keep a marriage strong and our people is our spouse. Well said. Yes. And I would just say to add to that strongerfamilies.com slash podcast, we've got all kinds of stuff that not only is our book going to be there, but there's other resources that we've created for your relationship intentionally for the hero and their family. So this is not stuff that's just for any marriage. This is actually with your, with you in mind, if you're listening to this and you're one of our heroes, you're serving our country. First, we just want to say thank you. And second, we've got resources for you. So until next time, signing off.